Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Would you look at that? We are just one week away from opening day, and I am pumped. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Sample here with Scott White, a little two-man show for you here on a Thursday, July 16th. And Scott, you know now that we're just one week away from baseball starting, it's going to feel like a month, right? You know that. Uh, yeah, one week away, it's going to feel like a month, Um no, it's going to go by quickly. I have a lot to do between now and the start of the season. I think it's going to go by quickly. And I think the season itself is going to go by quickly because like we're, we're basically, uh, you know, wh- what's normally the end of May or the start of June, I guess that's going to be the end of the season. And it's, it's going to be over in a blink of an eye. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, let's enjoy it while we can. On today's show, we're going to go over the most likely busts for this season, and we're going to hit on the latest news. Every single day, it seems like there's so much news coming out, uh, especially with you know Summer Camp 2.0. People are ramping up. Injuries are taking place, COVID-related news items, so we'll get into all of that. We'll have a little bit of a general discussion regarding busts as well, because I think that is necessary. Before we get into all that, I just want to say that I finally sat down last night. I carved some time out. And I listened to all of the song submissions. I read all of your emails for our listener leagues. And I was just completely floored. I knew you guys were awesome. You guys, the listeners, and for those watching on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel, thank you. But the creativity, the thoughtfulness, um, it was I was just blown away, Scott. It was awesome. I know that you've had a chance to listen to some of the songs too. So, uh, yeah. I'll be announcing the winners that are going to be in the listener leagues tomorrow. Uh, again, we will have our live mock draft, a head-to-head points mock draft on tomorrow's show, and I will announce the winners. So looking forward to that, but I've just got to say, you guys are fantastic. All right, Scott, bust. Let's talk about it because sometimes, all right, there are semantics involved with sleepers, breakouts, but I think with bust, they can mean a few things. I think you have different categories. I think you can have an overvalued category. I think that you can have a category where, okay, these players just could completely sink your season and sink your fantasy teams. How would you define a bust? Because sometimes I think when people hear bust and they hear us talk about a player that we think is a bust, they just completely Mm -hmm. say, all right, I can't draft that player. Right. But that's that's not necessarily true. I mean, you had Madison Bumgarner as a bust and you... Got him for $6 in our auction last week. So everybody has right. a price. And, and he's probably my biggest bust. So that's that's true. There There is no player I just absolutely wouldn't draft under any circumstances. So let's, let's dispel with that myth right off the bat. But even so, um, 
I think I've tried to be more precise in my definition of bust in part because I have a lot of buckets I can drop players. And now I have, you know, overrated by ADP bucket. I can put players in and I want my bust list to look different from that list. So I, I try not to, uh, not to, uh, to, to, to put that bust label on players. I merely think are, you know, slightly overvalued. I, I try to treat it more as, bottom out potential like this player has uh the potential to crash and be virtually useless for you that's what just in the last couple years that's what i've tried to reserve my bust list for and even that you know be can can be contradictory I, i mean a player with that definition of bust can also be a breakout candidate i think of like matthew boyd or uh you know frankly even like Vladimir Guerrero, who I have on my bust list, um, you know, they can kind of fall into both of those categories. But so there is kind of a, a an element of ADP, you know, where they're actually going and do I want them at that price that that does have some influence on it still. Because, you know, if, if Vladimir Guerrero was a 15th rounder and instead of a 6th rounder, then he'd probably be on my breakouts list instead of my bust list. So it, it's not like I'm completely divorcing myself from ADP when putting together this list. But the, the biggest element for me is what does the downside look like for this player? And, you know, how likely is he to, to reach it? All right, Scott. So with that being said, why don't you give me your top bust for 2020 and tell me, you know, which one of those buckets he falls into. Do you think that it's more of a bottom out potential or do you think this person is just overrated by ADP? It's actually Madison Bumgarner. (laughs) I think that's the first (laughs) league where I've gotten him and $6. uh, It was a great price for him. So that's why I did it. I think I got him in Tout Wars, which was a head-to-head points auction. And I got him also for $6. And he's a bust for me too. Yeah, yeah, but six dollars. Uh, I mean, it's a great price. Right, right. There, there, there can come a point where everybody's united and and in their fear of him, and and then you end up getting him after all. So, I mean, the bottom out potential for Bumgarner is pretty obvious. He's pitched the past. He's pitched his entire career in San Francisco, home of the best pitchers' park, and uh, specifically the last two years for him there, uh, when we saw. Some skills declined, which may or may not be attributable to that motorbike accident he got in, uh, I think it was midway through 2016 or 2017. Basically, ever since then, he, he hasn't been as dominant. Uh, and, and yet, he's been useful in fantasy still. But when you look at his home away splits, you have to wonder how much of it was just the venue he was pitching in. Because Last year, he had a 293 ERA at home compared to 529 on the road. Two years ago, 163 at home versus 497 on the road. I mean, that I, I don't see how you're not scared of that now that he's with Arizona, obviously. That's, that could cause the whole thing to unravel. And, uh, you know, I don't want to make a big investment in him because of that. I can certainly, I, I can certainly see a path where he overcomes it. His his cutter is actually his primary pitch, not his fastball, and his cutter velocity was back up 
a little bit last year. He did actually have a pretty good swinging strike rate. And like he's Madison Bumgarner, so he just has a reputation of doing things you don't expect him to do. Uh, so, you know, I'm not opposed to giving him the benefit of the doubt for the right price, but it, it, it has to be a really good price for me because I'm, I'm pretty scared of just what the numbers show. Yeah, and wasn't he doing some kind of rodeo thing in the offseason too? Like, <laughs> the guy's just a wild card. His name was uh, Mason Saunders. That was like his rodeo yep. like surname. And you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, he's kind of a wild card. You don't know what he's going to do. Um, and, and his price tag. So I'm looking at NFBC ADP for the month of July. And he's going right around Max Freed. Max Freed, who I had as a breakout yesterday. He's going just ahead of Kenta Maeda, who Scott had as a breakout yesterday. So not only is there bottom-out potential, I think it's the price tag, too. I think it's the name Madison Bumgarner. People still hold on to that name. And because of that, there are a few names that I want to bring up here, Scott. Okay. I think Paul Goldschmidt, I think people see the name and remember the fact that he was a first-round player for so many years that sometimes it's kind of hard to let go of that. But he's turning 33 years old in September, and this, the plate discipline is starting to decline. 24% strikeout rate over the past two seasons. Um, and last year, he had a 753 OPS or worse in four out of six months. League average OPS is 758. We are playing a two-month season. So what happens if those, those 753 OPS months come in a shortened season? Last year, he was the 12th best first baseman in both formats. He's the 7th best first baseman in ADP right now. So I would love him into a similar category as Madison Bumgarner. I'm with you. He's Paul Goldschmidt's on my bust list too. And the most condemning stat for me is that he hit just 232 against four-seam fastballs last year. He's a career 309 hitter against them. So the bat's slowing down. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like a... In addition to some of the changes in plate discipline that we've seen, I think that stat in particular is the clearest indication that his bat is beginning to slow down. And who knows Who knows how much life he has left in it. He may be able to wring a couple more productive years out of it, uh, but I think, uh, I think his best is certainly behind him. And I think the most you can hope for from Goldschmidt this year is just serviceable production at the position. All right, I'm going to throw another name your way. This one might be a little more controversial, Scott, so get ready. Jose Altuve. And I think that by this time next year, we could be talking about Jose Altuve in a similar vein as Paul Goldschmidt. And look, I might be overstating that, but he has dealt with knee and hamstring injuries each of the past two seasons, which has forced him to miss 63 total games. As a result, his steals have gone from 32 to 17 to 6 over the past three seasons the plate discipline, it's still very good by league-wide standards, but it is starting to slip a little bit for him. His 15% strikeout rate uh, was a career high. 7.5% walk rate was his lowest since 2015. And I think he was helped out by the juice ball. Again, we don't know which ball is going to be played with this year, but a 23% home run to fly ball ratio, he hit a career-high 31 homers. Normally, that was never higher than 14.6% home run to fly ball ratio for Altuve. I just think if he's a... 280, 290 hitter, 22 home run pace, 10 steal pace. I just, I don't think he's going to be worth his third or fourth round price tag. I'd rather have Ozzy Albies and Cattell Marte over Jose Altuve, Scott. I would rather have Cattell Marte over him, and I think it's pretty close with Ozzy Albies. So if that's 
you know, if that's your standard for a bust, I guess I could see it. I, I do understand the argument for Altuve. Uh, look, as as productive as he was last year, hitting a career high 31 home runs in only 124 games. You know, the, he, he outperformed his peripherals, so maybe maybe we shouldn't trust in that. He doesn't run much anymore, like you said. And yet I have a hard time I have a hard time calling Altuve a bust because he just had his most productive season purely as a hitter. I mean, obviously not, not as an overall fantasy player with the stolen bases, but purely as a hitter, he just had his most productive season. He's going later than any of us remember him going uh, since he became a, a fantasy asset. And like, I think, I think the track record, when, when you consider he's already discounted from what we know him to be, and he did just have a great year. I think I think the track record counts for more than uh, than maybe what those peripherals show just last year. Like, there's not. I I think it's kind of a stretch. If he was going in round two, I could understand it more. But he tends to go in more like round. What's his ADP? Round four, round five. In the month of July, over at the NFBC, his ADP is thirty nine. That's so, round four. Round four. Yep. Yep. He's, he's going a little bit later now than he was originally. So I wonder if uh, people are starting to uh, change their mindset on Altuve. Fantasy pros, he's still the second, second baseman, ADP of 31. Uh, but yeah, NFBC, he's the fifth one. But they're they're all kind of bunched together. Glaber is 28, and then uh, VR is 41. So you have six second basemen going within 13 picks of each other. So they're all very closely bunched up. But, you know, Scott, your argument for Altuve there, I just feel like we could have said that last year about Paul Goldschmidt, no? And I did say that about Paul Goldschmidt, and he took a clearer step back. Yeah. And there's um, no way to know until it actually happens, but I am more right. so in the in the camp that I think Altuve is getting closer towards that. I'm, I'm trying to remember how much, where Goldschmidt was going in drafts last year. I can't, I honestly can't remember. Was he still a first rounder? Did we, did we I start to think he was more of a second rounder, but yeah, I can but pull the, it up. For the you. discount wasn't as much as we're seeing for Altuve. All right. Can't pull it up right now, but I think he was probably a second or third round pick for Goldschmidt. And now he's going in that like sixth, seventh round range. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm down on Jose Altuve. Scott, give me another, another one of your busts here for 2020. Okay. So the most controversial one, I guess is Fernando Tatis. Ooh. Oh, yeah. You're going to anger some people there, Scott. That consensus second rounder who I acknowledge has top five overall potential. I mean, he was a five-category stud last year for the, at least for the, the stretches he was healthy. Um, you know, that was only 84 games, so it was really only half a season, though it was, it was chopped up because of a couple of IL stints. But, like, basically... Every performance-wise, every way you could be concerned about what a hitter uh, just did, like like Tatis raises all the red flags. Basically, his profile he had a four ten BABIP, which is obviously unsustainable. His expected batting average, according to Statcast, you know the the launch angle and the quality of contact was only two fifty nine, even though he hit three seventeen. His 
fly ball rate was very low. He put a lot of balls on the ground, which is the problem we talk about with Vladimir Guerrero a lot. It didn't show up in Tatis's numbers, but like it, it, he's really depending on an, on an outlier home run to fly ball rate to continue to homer at that same pace. And then even the stolen bases, like middle of the order bats like that eventually stop running almost, almost universally. It happens no matter how fast they are. They just stop running because it's not a priority for them. It's not something their team really is asking them to do. And, uh, 13 of his steals came in his first 49 games. Three came in his final 35. And he was only three for six in those final 35. He strikes out a ton. It just it just seems like he could take a step back, Tatis could, in so many ways that, you know, he ends up falling outside of the top 12 shortstops and is still usable. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a situation where you're dropping him, but falling well short of second round status, I could absolutely see that for Tatis. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one. And I've said this before, you know, regarding Javier Baez. I think that there are some players that are just so talented that they can outperform what is expected of them or what the underlying numbers say of them. I agree it's a big price tag to pay. Second round pick, uh, his ADP, according to Fantasy Pros, is 186 so he's going smack daddy in the middle of the second round. More so in Roto Leagues. In points leagues, he's 3-4 turn. You can usually see Tatis. So, Scott, let me ask you. In a Roto League, where would you feel comfortable taking Tatis? You know, how many... What player range? How many guys would have to be off the board? Is it after Rendon, J.D. Martinez? Is he closer to the Bryce Harper group? Where would you feel comfortable taking <laughs> Tatis? Or, or would you just completely skip him over? Well... What makes it tricky is you specifying it's a roto league. And there are just, there's a finite number of players who can contribute to stolen bases. And the ones who could contribute to stolen bases without holding you back in other categories, they all go early. So, like, that's just, that's, that's a, an unusual category need that you kind of just have to hold your nose and fill, even if you don't really like the player overall. Um, so acknowledging that I'm probably, if, if, if Tatis last to my third pick, I'm probably not letting him slip past me, but I would be holding my nose and taking him there. I would not be taking him with great confidence, even, you know, around later than he typically goes. So it has to be the third round for you in Roto. And, and it's never happened yet. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's not going to happen. The ADP is 18.6. I haven't seen him last until the third round. Um, but in a points league. Uh, this is actually a useful tool. If you go on cbssports.com, you can sort ADP by either head-to-head or roto. His ADP in a head-to-head league is 52.9, Scott. <laughs> that is just, I mean, come on. We're going too far the other way. I understand he's a near 30% strikeout guy, but he still averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game last year, which was tied for a second with Trey Turner and Marcus Semien. So you're getting yeah. this guy sometimes in the fifth round of a points league? Yeah, I think... At that point, you you have to take a chance on the upside. You have to take a shot at it. And I, I think that that is one scenario where I have drafted Tatis this year in a head-to-head points league where people just said, oh, this is a Roto guy. I want nothing to do with him. And he lasts till round five and may have even been round six. Yeah, that's that's going too far with it. All right, Scott, I have a name for you that I think is quite similar to Fernando Tatis. And I have him as a bust, more so because of the ADP. And he could, I realize he can make me look stupid very easily. 
but that is Bo Bichette. And I've said it before, I'm going to stick to my guns. Uh, I think that he is a very talented player. And eventually, you know, maybe he'll turn into a first, second round pick for fantasy purposes. But in July, the NFBC, his ADP is 47, Scott. 47. Mm. We're talking about a borderline fourth, fifth round pick now for Bo Bichette. Continues to climb. I think people just fall in love with some of these younger players and the prospect pedigree that they have. But you can get Tim Anderson and Marcus Semien almost 50 picks later. In a Roto League, I would rather have Tim Anderson straight up in a vacuum over Bo Bichette. In a Points League, I would rather have Marcus Semien over Bo Bichette in a vacuum. If you like Correa, he goes 60 picks later. If you like Corey Seager, he goes almost 100 almost 100 picks later <laughs> for Corey Seager, according to the NFBC ADP in the month of July. So... Huh. Scott, just I, the I, price tag, I'm priced out on Boba Shit. I, I won't have any shares. I wonder how much of that is unique to NFBC. NFBC ADP is the only one that you could break down by certain segments of time. So we're kind of, you know, if we're, if we're looking to isolate, you know, restart draft value, uh, we're, we're, we're just stuck with their data. And, and, you know, sometimes NFBC, it can be skewed just like any other, just like any other data source. So, you know, I... In our in the mock drafts we've been conducting with people around the industry, I have yet to see Bo Bichette go in round four, uh, where that ADP shows. So uh, I have a difficult time speaking to that. But at the very least, it should be a close call between him and Simeon and Correa. Uh, I don't know that I put Tim Anderson in that category myself. Only in Roto for me, not in a point. Yeah. Side. Yeah, Roto, I mean, you could obviously justify it more, but it's 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 a, it's asking him to uh to be his best in batting average and stolen bases. Uh yeah, I mean if if it's truly if it's truly truly 46th for Bichette, I, I can't argue against you there. Um his well, how about cumulative a, ADP yeah, 67, according to fantasy uh, pros yeah. is sixty-sixth. Which is still kind of high, but not crazy high i don't think it's still you know his 66 versus carlos correa's 95th okay give me carlos correa but i don't know i, I don't go as far with bichette as to call him a bust he just I, I might just call him overrated so in our head-to-head categories mock that we did on tuesday bo bichette went 46th overall scott and which one in our in our head-to-head categories mock draft that we did he went 46th oh. To, okay, I stand corrected. I to be Don of Razzball, who typically does go in the direction of prospects and younger players, but yeah, he does have a tendency to do that. But it would be interesting to see what would happen if he wasn't in that <laughs> draft. <laughs> was it just him, or was is uh, uh, everybody who plays on NFBC is, is he is he like the the standard thinking now? I don't yeah, know. look, fourth round definitely can't do it. Even the sixth round, I. Again, I think the value you can get, especially in a points league, if you just wait for Seager or Correa, I just, I don't think he's, I don't think Bobochet's going to completely bottom out, but I do think that mm-hmm. he is overvalued. Scott, rattle off a few more names to me here uh, that you have in some of your bus columns for this season. Josh Hader, I'm just not confident he's going to get even, you know, three quarters of the Brewer saves now that Corey Knebel is back and ready to go on opening day. Uh, it might be a 50-50 split between the two. It might be Knebel getting 75% of the Brewers' saves. Josh Hader would still have value in that scenario because in terms of percentages, he's the best reliever. But 
obviously wouldn't be the most valuable reliever in fantasy anymore. Um, the Vladimir Guerrero, I've mentioned it a couple times. I think people are painting a rosy picture there with him. Uh, just especially given how deep the hitter pool is this year, like how you can get one of last year's MVP finalists, Marcus Simeon in round eight or nine to, you know, invest a fifth round pick in Vladimir Guerrero, who, uh, you know, had a 70, a 772 OPS in his 464 at bats last year and really high ground ball rate. That's not going to allow him to hit for power. Uh, if, if it continues, obviously he could take a huge step forward this year, but, the caliber of player you're passing up at the point he goes just isn't worth that. I think it's similar to, to Bichette. I think, you know, our mindset for Vlad and, and Bichette there is kind of similar. But Bichette was legitimately great after he got called up last year. and Smaller samples, but yeah. Fringy. I mean, Guerrero was borderline unstartable after getting called up, at least from a 12-team context. Uh, a couple guys who were... Uh, Bad last year, but I don't think they're being downgraded enough because I think I think uh, I don't have a lot of much hope of them getting I don't have much hope of them getting better are Andrew Benintendi and Reese Hoskins. Reese uh, Hoskins hit the Reese Hoskins one, hits me right in the heart, Scott. Yeah, 198 over the final four months last year. And uh, you know, makes weak contact. Puts the ball in the air a ton. He's he's going to be a low. It's going to be a low Babbitt profile for him, and maybe not with enough power to justify the hit and batting average. Uh, let me see here. Uh, I yeah. I mean, I have Jonathan in VR and Adalberto Mondesi on this list because I don't trust them as hitters at all, and you have to pay a lot for them. But it's kind of what I was saying about Tatis, where if you if you want to not have a problem in steals, you kind of just have to hold your nose and take them where they go. Because that's one thing you can count on Mondesi and VR to do is run. Um, in the end, at the end of the year, will you look back and say they were worth the investment you made in them? I, maybe not. Maybe not. But it, we're just held hostage by the, the stolen yeah. base in landscape right now because there's just so few players who can contribute to them, and it counts for twenty percent of your team's offensive production in a five by five league. So that's that's where we are with that. Yeah, and Roto, I've said this already. I mean, I want one of Turner or Adalberto Montesi. Montesi, the first sixty games last season, led baseball in steals. He had twenty two steals, and he was hitting two eighty. So. If he can stay healthy for 60 games, there's a chance that he could lead the league in baseball, uh, in stolen bases. Again, that is Mondesi, but there is bottom-out potential. I get it because of the lack of plate discipline. I think he's a sub-300 OBP player for his career, so mm -hmm. there definitely is some bottom-out potential for Adalberto Mondesi. Uh, another Royal, I'll give you, Scott, Whit Merrifield and... Look, I, I think I'm confident in the batting average. He hits a lot of line drives. I think that'll still be there. But the fact that he is 31 years old and his steals were more than cut in half from 2018 to 2019, he went from 45 to 20. He only went 20 for 30 on the base paths last year. 10 caught stealing. So I could see the speed taking a little bit of a step back. And I also wonder, under Mike Matheny, 
will the stolen bases come down a little bit? Because while Matheny was with the Cardinals, I believe it was 2012 through 2018, they never ranked higher than 17th in steals. So I worry about that for Merrifield. He's getting up there in age. Uh, and I agree with you on Hater, especially in a points league. Adam brings this up all the time. Last year, he was uh, the number one closer in, in, in points leagues. But he was only 27, only had 27 more fantasy points than Will Smith, who was the second best closer. Is that worth a fifth round price tag in a points league? I don't think so. So I, no. I agree well, with I you mean, there. In a points league, drafting and, closers is a is a different process in a points league. It may not the ADP may not show it, but like it should be. You to be in that format, the top closers are never worth paying up for. Scott, we can't have a, a bus show without me mentioning Trevor Bauer at least once. So we, <laughs> I feel like we've talked about Trevor Bauer all week long, and I posed this question yesterday. To, and I believe Adam kind of spoke out against it. I said, what's more likely? Trevor Bauer returns second round value or is on the waiver wire by mid-August? And he said, no, nah, there's no way he'll be on the waiver wire by mid-August. Well, Scott, I put up a Twitter poll yesterday and only 54% said it's more likely that he returns second round value, which is actually, I thought the poll was a lot closer than it actually would be. So hmm. there are a lot of other people out there who, who doubt Trevor Bauer as well. I think he's one of those players that completely has bottom-out potential. He's the 21st starting pitcher off the board in NFBC this month. You could get Robbie Ray 80 picks later. I just, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. So I'm on record oh, anti-Trevor Bauer. I mean, Trevor Bauer had the fifth most strikeouts in baseball last year. In terms of, in terms of workload... It's it's no contest between him and Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray's inefficient and uh, is never going to give you the innings. Like basically, Robbie Ray's expected outcome is Trevor Bauer's downside. I feel like, and and yet Bauer is still going to throw more innings in that downside scenario. So I don't I don't agree with that comparison at all. I'm kind of a downer on Robbie Ray, maybe, but I I've seen enough of him to know who he is, and it's. It's a guy who excels at one thing, but uh, in a way he can't even take full advantage of just because he doesn't he doesn't pitch deep into games. Well, Scott, what if I told you if you put their career side by side, Robbie Ray, 4.11 ERA, 135 whip over 11 Ks per nine. Trevor Bauer, 404 ERA, 130 whip, nine and a half Ks per nine. I would say you weren't listening to me, Frank, because I was talking about innings. I wasn't talking about ratios. But in a shortened season, that that should favor Robbie Ray, no? I mean, that should help him in a shortened season, no? I feel like the season's kind of made for Robbie Ray. I I don't think it's going to change how often he goes six plus, which isn't very often. And it's really hard to win that way. You know, it's possible the season is so short that um, wins are going to be so arbitrary anyway uh because what's what's the league leader gonna have like five and you know um that's that's gonna be hard to and it's gonna be more than five i guess right because it's more than a third of a regular season yeah you might get it might be it might be like seven seven. yeah if you're lucky (laughs) i mean it could somebody could sneak in like an eight or nine win season i think that's possible um just because the pace is not going to be like the pace could be exaggerated in a 60 game stretch, but, but whatever, I'm getting off track here now. Uh, I don't think, I mean, we know Trevor Bauer's upside is much greater than Robbie Ray. Anybody else you want to mention Scott honorable mentions here? Um, 
honorable mentions. There are two players that I'm reluctant to draft for health reasons and because the price tag is very high, and those two are Blake Snell and Aaron Judge. I think in both cases... I mean, Judge now is going 55th overall. Like, that doesn't seem so bad to me. Does it to you? That's a fifth round That's pick? That's a fifth round. I mean, you're kind of a downer on Judge, too. Yeah. At what point do you start thinking about taking him? Sixth or seventh. So we're not far off. Yeah. Probably more so seventh. It's it's real. It's realistic that you could find him lasting until then. Yeah, um, it's... Adam brings it up all the time. He got him 92nd, I think, in a mock draft we yeah. did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah if he lasts at that I'm point, like, yeah, I could get behind that. I still see him as the best potential home run source in the game. Obviously, he has to stay on the field. The uh, uh, stress fracture in his rib that dates back to last fall, and he wasn't recovered from it in February. I mean, that's a tricky injury that... Uh, you know, we're not really going to know if he's over it until he, he gets back to full activity. But he's been swinging at bat for a while now, and there's been no talk of it being an issue. They seem confident he's going to be ready for opening day. So I'm wondering if, I'm wondering now if uh, the community as a whole is overrating the risk there. Yeah, and that's, what, and that's what we talked about at the top, Scott, where if it gets to a point where it's going too far the other way, then mm-hmm. there's profit potential. I know that, you know that that's something you did with Clayton Kershaw last year. That, I was I was just gonna say that. Yeah, exactly. like I had Clayton Kershaw on my bust list when he was a third or fourth rounder, uh, but suddenly he hurts his shoulder in spring training, and he's going in the seventh round. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I you know this doesn't sound like a long term issue. It sounds like he might miss a couple weeks at the beginning of the season, and and then, you know, everything I was so scared of with him. Uh, it, it doesn't look so bad in round seven versus round three. I got a lot of Clayton Kershaw, and he had a great season. So I could see that happening with Judge. Snell um, Snell doesn't fall like that. No, he that doesn't. He's still going consistently at least in the fourth round. Yeah, and uh, you know he had elbow surgery at the end of last year. He had a cortisone shot in the same elbow this spring. It sounds like he's fine now, but it's hard to tell. And and like my concerns with Snell go beyond just the elbow because he has efficiency issues too. Even when he won the Cy Young two years ago, it was with few innings for a Cy Young winner. Uh, he doesn't go six with great consistency. And like he needed a 189 ERA to be that good two years ago. And like that's just unrealistic no matter how you, no matter how you slice it up. So, uh, yeah, I'd rather avoid Snell, personally. Shout out to Pete Alonzo and Liam Hendricks. I know if Chris were here, he would probably have those two as his top bust. Uh, Pete Alonzo, it's just it's hard for a power-only source, really, to live up to expectations going into the third round. So it's a big price tag. No one's doubting the talent. I think he's still going to hit a ton of home runs this season. But I've said, I think if him and Sano stay healthy for 60 games... I don't think that their numbers will really be all that dissimilar. And you could get to know like 80, 90 picks later than Pete Alonso. Uh, and then Liam Hendricks, he needs a lot to go right. The The velocity was up last year, the strikeouts, swinging strike rate, all career high. He was that mid-career breakout. Scott, he's one of those mid-career breakouts that you don't really endorse as much as like the Marcus Simeon types. 
Uh, I, I think Chris's points with Liam Hendricks are well-founded, but I don't really share his, uh, his negativity for Hendricks specifically because I think there's so much volatility at relief pitcher anyway. And, you know, Hendricks isn't the second guy off the board there like Blake Trinan was last year. He's, you know, he's top 10, but... He's a seventh uh, relief pitcher off the board. Right, but who do you feel great about that's going after him? Who do you feel totally secure about after that? It's, I, I would say nobody. I mean, you're getting into guys like Craig Kimbrell, who was horrible last year, and I think has been horrible in uh, both spring training and summer camp. Well, you know who I'm going to say, Scott. Edwin Diaz, we don't know exactly if he's going to have a role. Ken Giles, 25 nope. picks later. Ken Giles. Yeah, okay. I mean, Ken Giles, if you'd rather have Ken Giles than Liam Hendricks, that's one. Um but my point is, like, where Hendricks goes, he doesn't stand out is especially risky to me. Uh, all closers are risky. And, you know, that is... he was the only one that came close to Josh Hader in strikeouts last year. So that should count for a little. All right, Scott. We have to wrap it up with this. Our final bust question of the day. What is a popular TV show that you consider a bust? <laughs> Come on, ruffle some feathers here, Scott. Ruffle some feathers. Um, so we talked about the wire before the show started. Yeah. Yes, because that's who you <laughs> did. I just steal your thunder here. Nah, I mean, I probably need to give the wire more of an uh, more of a chance. Yeah, I you watched, watched half a season, so that's I, not it, fair. It didn't stand like, out to me. Like a a a multi season show is is a novel, and so if you drop out. In the middle of the first season, you're dropping out, you know, 20 pages into a novel, which is just ridiculous. I know. Um, that's I get mad at people who stop watching Breaking Bad halfway through the first season. So I have to give the yeah. wire now, I the do same think justice. I um I didn't love the wire. I, I liked it. I was, you know, I watched the whole thing. I you know, I I don't regret the time I spent watching it. I don't quite share the same enthusiasm for it. I didn't there wasn't a lot of characters to like in the wire. I feel like, and I wasn't, there wasn't a lot to get emotionally invested in. There wasn't a lot, you know, when an episode ended it like, Oh, I got to find out what happens next. There wasn't a lot of that in that show. It, it took, you know, it was, it was interesting. Um, it addressed some serious subject matter. I, I think it addressed it well, but from a, pure entertainment standpoint i i don't think it it lives up to its reputation personally um band of brothers the hbo miniseries it's well made again i didn't find it especially entertaining it kind of it's you know, 10 episodes long it's a miniseries i kind of felt like it was a homework assignment getting all the way through it i was excited to watch it after watching uh Chernobyl because I thought Chernobyl was fantastic and like oh everybody's comparing it to Band of Brothers let's check that out and yeah some big names in it Jimmy Fallon randomly shows up halfway through <laughs> uh, delivering some uh, some supplies that, that that was interesting you know Ross Geller as a drill sergeant what's that about <laughs> that, that was interesting but you know I just you know just didn't really do it for me and then another one uh an anime series, actually, Cowboy Bebop. You ever seen that? Cowboy? No, I haven't. I've watched some yeah. anime, but I have not seen that. You're a big I'm anime not, guy. 
I'm not somebody who's like fully immersed in the anime world. I, of course, love Death Note. That's my text tone that plays often on the show. <laughs> um, I've heard great things. I, I should watch it. Yeah. Cowboy Bebop was was not doing it for me. I don't I don't even really know why. I'm not <laughs> I, I I forced my way all the way through it. So I can't say that I didn't give it a chance, but it just it just didn't grab me the way um, the way it has so many others. Well now that we've lost, you know, half of our audience who enjoys the wire, band of brothers, and cowboy bebop, I want to remind you to join our fantasy baseball today <laughs> Facebook group. Lots of interactions, intriguing questions, Q&A with Scott White, of course. Fantasy Baseball Today. Again, facebook.com slash group slash fantasy baseball today. Also, if you're a fan of this podcast, of course, why not? That's why you're listening. That's why you're watching. We're not asking you to tell the world, but if you could, just tell one person, one friend about the podcast and why you like it. We'd grace, greatly appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break there. When we come back, we're going to talk about some news and notes, the latest here in the world of fantasy baseball, and answer your questions. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, we're back here. Fantasy Baseball Today. The latest news and notes, Scott. Jacob DeGrom's MRI on his back came back clean. He's day-to-day. It is currently unknown when he will throw again. I think we're just kind of waiting for more news to come out. I, I don't think I'm going to avoid him in drafts. This is obviously worrisome. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's really going to fall out of the first round. I, I, I can't see that happening. Well... Just since we started recording here, there's been a report from Tim Britton. All right, what Athletic. you got? He's, Jacob deGrom says he feels good. He would like to throw 60 to 65 pitches Sunday night and then be ready to throw 85 on opening day. That's his hope. It's not a guarantee, but it's encouraging, I would say. I, I'm, I'm not planning on moving him down. 
I am with you there, Scott. The Athletics pitching coach, Scott Emerson, told reporters on Wednesday that Jesus Lazardo, who tested positive for COVID, could be limited upon his return to the mound. This one, I'm a little bit more worried about. And it's just another guy. I mean, he can't catch a break. Last year was supposed to be the breakout. He gets hurt with the, I believe it was a trap injury, you know, during spring training. And then now with COVID, at what point are you? do you feel comfortable taking Jesus Lazardo now, Scott? Do you have the NFBC uh, recent ADP handy for him? Yes, and he is going in July, pick 100. Right around oh. James Paxton, Corey Kluber. So he's, he's actually moved up. He's just and, behind and There was a guys. while where we were excited about the prospect of him in a short season because they, he wouldn't get shut down. Um, I'll, his, I'll, his I'll limit it to the past. He's actually 115. I'll limit it to the past week, Scott, and see mm-hmm. where he's at, and it is 110. So in the past yeah. week, he's dropped 10 spots, but Still. not significantly. He's going right around Lance Lynn, just ahead of Lynn, uh, Mike Soroka, Carlos Carrasco, Julio Arias, Zach Gallen. Yeah. It's a little too high for me. I, I don't think it's it's crazy high because uh, I, I really I have a lot of confidence in the skills, and, you know, he may just be helping you in ERA and whip those first couple turns. But, you know, eventually he's going his, his third or fourth turn. He's going to be uh, somebody who's throwing between five and six innings, I'm sure. And having a chance to win a game for you, hopefully with eight or nine strikeouts, you know? So you get, you get far past that group of starting pitchers and you're getting into some really iffy types in terms of what they're actually providing for you. So I don't, I don't, I saw on Twitter last night, Chris was saying he added Jesus Lazardo to his bust list. I I wouldn't go that far. I think he's being slightly overvalued now, given the likelihood uh, his first couple turns will be limited. But I don't think he's... I'm, I'm not ready to just pass him up altogether. Scott, would you rather have Lazardo or Rich Hill? Rich Hill. Rich Hill is going 171 yeah. over the past week, and Lazardo is going 110. So that needs to change. That does need to change indeed. Miguel Sano has been cleared to rejoin the Twins, and DJ LeMahieu is slated to return to the Yankees, quote, this week. Uh, I want to say it's all systems go, but I think this is something to monitor for now, especially kind of given what happened with Charlie Blackman. We did get uh, an update where <laughs> I actually tweeted at a, at a beat writer for the, uh, for the Rockies, Thomas Harding, and I just asked him, I was like, hey, what's going on with Blackman? And he said the Rockies last night and manager Bud Black this morning explained that this is a procedural move and it does not prevent him from opening the season on the active roster. So yeah. I think you monitor the situations, but I think it's I think we're close to all systems go. Blackman, yeah, Sano, and DJ LeMahieu. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I still think there's a chance they're all not ready, but it won't be long if they aren't, and and they may very well be. So that's that's encouraging. It's encouraging, obviously, if you're looking to draft them. It's encouraging, I think, for future instances that may come up. Um, but you know, yeah, I think I think they're basically back to to full value, and you've had good luck with that. You've had good luck with just approaching beat writers and saying hey what's going on they, they don't they don't always i think it's the, i think it's the back. check mark i think the check mark is helping me out nowadays well, i i have a check mark too <laughs> right. is the check mark a new thing for you it is 
Yeah, I have a check mark too. Maybe maybe I don't ask nicely enough. I don't know. <laughs> maybe not. Um, what's next? Willie Calhoun has been diagnosed with a grade one hip flexor strain. Looks doubtful for opening day. Uh, they said that Nick Solak will play left field in the meantime. And Nick Solak, someone we were excited about here, Scott, but Willie Calhoun is going to be back. I would say what happens with Solak is if he plays well the first week or so, a couple of weeks while Willie Calhoun is out, I think that they will find a way to get his bat in the lineup. I don't know what way that is going to be. Maybe they you know, move Solak to third, kind of Falefa to first, or they play Solak at first base. I think they get creative with it. But if Solak hits, I don't think he leaves from the lineup. Yeah, well, he's probably... I, I would guess he'd fill a super utility role, which is more or less playing every day. I mean, maybe five days a week, he's in the lineup at one position or another. Uh, I, I, I kind of feel like that was going to happen anyway. Uh, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll go from being four games to five games a week if he does get off to a good start, like you said. But that's that's how I see this unfolding with Solak. And of course, if anybody else gets hurt or test positive, has to leave the team, then then Solak is uh, going to have another spot to play every day. Uh, he's going to play plenty this year. Uh, Nick Solak last year hit 32 home runs and seven had seven steals between the minors and the majors. He has flashed a plus hit tool in the minors as well, a 294 batting average and an 850 OPS in his minor league career. I mentioned the name, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Scott, just give yourself a pat on the back, man, because you've been spot on with this from the get-go. He's doing it right now. You can see it on our Fantasy Baseball Today <laughs> YouTube channel. Um, he is going to, they say right now, has the edge for the starting third base job. And with catcher eligibility, that is massive. We received this email, Scott. Let me know what you think. How high does Isaiah Kiner-Falefa jump since he plays every day? Would you move him ahead of Carson Kelly or Yadier Molina? Oh, that's going a little far, I think. You want him to be a value pick. Uh, you don't want to presume too much. Because like the, the track record as a hitter is pretty pretty bad. Pretty bad. Like If, if he is still that guy with the bat, it's not going to matter that much that he's playing every day. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't move him up that far, but there are reasons to be encouraged. He made a change to his, his stance. He's incorporating his lower body more in his swing, which is similar to the change Gio Urshela made last year and six home runs between spring training and summer camp. Kinder Falefa has, uh, versus five in his entire major league career. Uh, it may actually be more than six. Obviously, we don't have official stats for summer camp, so I'm just kind of counting on my own. But it's been a lot of home runs for a guy who we didn't think had that kind of power. And uh, maybe, I mean, it's worth a shot if the cost is next to nothing. If you're going to make the costs that high, then maybe it's not worth a shot. But for now, I'm still uh, still excited to take Kiner Falefa in two catcher leagues. I read that last night Corey Kluber threw 98 pitches in an inter-squad game, and he allowed four hits, two earned runs. And two of those hits were against Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, so the guy just continues to hit. Um, I think I want to move him up, Scott, to around the Danny Jansen-Francisco Mejia range in two catcher yeah. leagues. Does that seem fair? That's how I, I... I don't have him that high in my rankings, and I'm gonna I'm going to spend some time Friday getting my rankings really solid for the big draft weekend. I know I don't have Kiner Falefa that high, but kind of mentally, that's how I've been approaching him in drafts is, okay, 
once Danny Jansen is gone, once Francisco Mejia is gone, then Kiner Falefa is my priority at catcher. But I know I can wait a while. Still, and obviously we're talking about we're talking about pretty deep leagues if Jansen goes and you're still waiting a while. But um, yeah, that's how I've been doing it with Kiner Falefa up to this point. Yeah, mostly for two catcher leagues in roto leagues. Uh, Byron Buxton said Wednesday that he will be ready for opening day. I don't know that I share the same level of optimism, but let's see what happens. Keston Hero was scratched Wednesday with right arm fatigue. It uh, doesn't seem too serious, but is something to pay attention to. Speaking of the Brewers, Corbin Burns, four perfect innings last night, seven strikeouts. Eric Lauer is still on the mend after testing positive for COVID. Brett Anderson left his start yesterday with a blister. Scott, Corbin Burns, somebody we should be excited about? Question Did mark? you give a stat line from yesterday? It was uh, I know it was four innings, zero hits, zero walks, seven strikeouts. Yeah, and he was throwing 98. He's His slider, I haven't heard any reports of it recently, but it was hitting 94 in spring training when it was high 80s last year. Uh, like this, this seems like a guy who has monster potential. Uh, you know, the ERA was outrageous last year, kind of another kind of Mitch Keller situation. So people are going to be inclined not to give Corbin Burns a second thought, but the minor league track record's impressive. The stuff itself is impressive. He's just got to win that spot because there's a chance he's a bullpen guy. They, they haven't, they haven't committed one way or another. Uh, obviously outings like the one he just had help his chances, but I think I think it's at best 60-40 he's in the rotation right now, and so I can't get totally on board with him as a sleeper just yet. In July, his ADP is 356, so I would say in a 12-team Roto League or anything deeper than that, your last round pick, your second to last round pick. I'm all right taking a flyer on Corbin Burns. Let's answer some of your questions. First, we'll start off with some of the Apple Podcast Review questions that we received. This one's from Hugo. Dear Ed, Jim, Frank, Joe, and Tom. Sounds like a bunch of common names. I'm not sure I'm <laughs> going to be able to come up with some commonality for them. These are the Delahanty brothers, apparently. I think they all played in Major League Baseball at some point, probably like... oh. Way back in the day, wow, hundred years ago or something like that. Yeah, whatever. You know, the Alou brothers, <laughs> but not the Delahanty brothers. My league has done head-to-head categories since it started nine years ago. This year, we're thinking of trying roto because of the shortened season. A, would you recommend this, Scott? Switching from head-to-head categories to roto for this season, and B, what are some of the pros and cons of roto over head-to-head? I've come all the way around on this because originally when we first started talking about how we would approach a short season, I was suggested maybe people do this. I think the other way makes more sense. I think head to head makes more sense because you're already, you're already used to segmenting the season into week long chunks. So playing it out, isn't going to feel any different than it normally does. It's just going to end abruptly like that. The difference in feeling is going to be uh, that players are going to perform the players aren't going to have a chance to normalize, but that's going to be true in a Roto league anyway. And I think the, the end result in a Roto league, since it's all about total accumulation over a span of time, I, I think the end results are going to be more warped in a Roto league than a head to head league. So I'm not saying people who like Roto play Roto normally need to change to head to head, but I would not be inclined to change my head to head league. I would encourage your commissioner to uh, make it multiple matchups per week, at least two. 
if that's a possibility. But even if it isn't, I think I would still stick to head-to-head. Do you think it might make it too convoluted in a head-to-head categories league, Scott, if you're playing double or triple headers every week? Well, you you wouldn't be able to uh, to tailor your lineup to your opponent. Like if you see, you know, sometimes in a head-to-head categories league, you'll see your opponent is starting just one closer. And so you, you'll know you only need to start two or whatever. Uh, you won't be able to do that. You'll have to set one lineup for all your opponents. So that's, there's some downside there. I think the upside is worth it. And was there some, when you say convoluted, was there some other way you were thinking? I just think, I think if you play head-to-head categories with multiple matchups this year, you should play weekly lineups, not head, uh, not daily. Oh, well, I have a tendency to presume weekly lineups anyway. Yeah, I th- <laughs> but the thing is, I think most people who play head-to-head categories play daily lineups, Scott. They probably do. I think that's, yeah. that's kind of, I kind of think of that as the Yahoo format, and I think that's the Yahoo default yes. setting. Uh, so they probably do. It's it's a weak spot for me, analysis wise, because I'm just always thinking in terms of weekly leagues. Uh, but yeah, look, weekly weekly leagues are easier for a number of reasons. That would be another. <laughs> Don't change to roto. Play head to head categories, multiple matchups. Make the lineups weekly instead of daily for this season. This next one's from Corey. Fourteen team head to head categories dynasty league. I just traded Eddie Rosario and Zach Britton for Nick Castellanos. I currently have Nick Anderson, Craig Kimbrell, Hector Neris, and Alex Colome at closer. Grade the trade, Scott. Rosario and Britton for Castellanos in a dynasty league. I would give that trade an A-. minus. I really like it. I think Nick Castellanos is about to take off. I don't think the dynasty context you know, really tips the scales more one way or the other between him and Rosario. Britain's just a short-term option for saves. I think it's a big upgrade for in your outfield, both for this year and beyond. Castellanos is only on a one-year deal with Cincinnati, though, Scott. Does that matter at all? Oh. I believe... Yeah, I thought he like, was on a... I thought he signed a multi-year deal. It might be... I think he has the ability to opt out after this year if he wants to. Oh. Where if he has a big year, he probably will. Um, it doesn't really change anything for me because I think even Tigers Castiano was about the same as Eddie Rosario in my eyes. And yeah, Zach know. Britton just doesn't have much dynasty value unless something right. happens to Chapman long term, which we have no reason to believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would give it a, I'll give it a B plus. Okay. Emails fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one's from Jonathan. I have the second pick in a 12 team head to head points league with five outfielders a corner infielder, and a middle infielder. So deeper head-to-head points league lineup than we're used to. Usually a second pick is great, as I would be assured either Trout or Yelich. But with the questions surrounding Trout, I really don't want him. So if Yelich was taken out of Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna, Cody Bellinger, who would you take? Or should I take Garrett Cole? Garrett Cole is who I have ranked there in a points league specifically. Yeah, I think that's the clearer advantage you could give yourself. If you don't want to take a pitcher, Bellinger would be the first hitter up for me, but it's it's a close call between him and Betts and, frankly, Alex Bregman in a points format. Uh, I would put him up with them. I would actually put him ahead of Acuna in that format. But personally, I would go with Cole. Yeah, I have to make the switch. I have to move Garrett Cole up in my overall head-to-head points because I have him fifth. 
And I would take Garrett Cole second overall as well because I'm looking at the head-to-head points ADP on CBS. I just think the hitters that you can get at the end of the second, early third round are are so good to me. Like, I'd rather have the combination of Garrett Cole and one of Bogarts or Harper or Trevor Story or J.D. Martinez. All those guys are going, you know, at that 2-3 turn. I'd rather have that combination with Garrett Cole than one of Bellinger or Betts with say Jack Flaherty or Strasburg. Yeah, I agree. Next question here is from Nick. With the news that Walker Bueller is behind the other Dodgers pitchers in the rotation, with only so many starts in the season, would you favor someone like Shane Bieber or Jack Flaherty over Bueller in a points league, Scott? We spoke about Bueller a little bit yesterday, but I think that this question is actually very relevant if he's not giving you those innings early on in the season. It's, I think... a. I think it's a it's a more reasonable question to ask: Should Bueller still be ahead of Bieber and Flaherty than it is to ask: Does Bueller should Bueller be ahead of Verlander and Scherzer? Not to uh... <laughs> this guy's taking <laughs> his jabs. Scott's I bring it up, of course, jabs. because you rank Bueller and <laughs> Verlander and Scherzer, but I don't think you're the only one who does. Um, and I think that news about Bueller, you know, just being so far behind every other pitcher and his first couple starts are really just going to be about building up again. And that's, you know, that's one sixth of his, the starts he'll be making all season provided he stays healthy all season that uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give that some more thought, but it's, it's tempting to move him behind Bieber and Flaherty. And, and, you know, actually maybe even further down behind Clevenger. I was thinking Clevenger too. Yeah. Clevenger was yeah. third in fantasy points per game last season. At starting right. pitcher. So he's he's great in that format. There's no doubt about it. I think it's I think it's something I have to consider as well in a points league. I, I think I think I'm gonna move him behind Bieber and Clevenger. So that would put Bueller at seven for me. Uh in a points league and then in Roto. Yes, I'm gonna move him behind Scherzer and Verlander, obviously, but I don't think I'm gonna move him lower than that. So I'm gonna drop him to five in Roto. I'm gonna drop him to seven in a head to head points league. All right, Scott. Sleepers, breakouts, busts. We're done. Tomorrow, we're going to have a live head-to-head points mock draft on the show uh, with you, the listeners. It's going to be Scott It's going to be here, Chris is going to be here, Adam's going to be here, and we will also announce the winners for our listener leagues. Thank you all again for sending those in. They have been absolutely fantastic. For Scott White, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.